Hi, Internet. My name is John Matos. And this is Melissa Matos. Um, <laughs> I still can't pronounce the name right. No. Um, we're just say John and Melissa. Who? Be done with it. <laughs> who do podcast things, but also writing things. Yes. Uh, I'm the writer of Cain and Abel, um, which is a sad and gritty retelling of the biblical, I don't know if you could call it a classic, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Because it's kind of a messed up story. Yes. But, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, that's available on Amazon now. Uh, and I'll give a plug for Misha. Does fantasy things on momtoast.com. Yes. Um, and this is her uh, second, I guess, episode of Sire. The first part was just like doing a version of a song. Yes. And talking about it a little bit. But this is, like, I guess, the first full episode of Siren Song. Yes. Uh, with the understanding that uh, we had had a whole series that was about concept albums. Um, but it's it's not something that, like, not having had, you know, music theory and stuff, it's kind of hard to talk about the story elements. And so we're kind of revamping it to talk about uh, songs that are kind of inspired by stories and different uh, storytelling elements that are part of uh, a song's narrative. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, Huntsman Winter's War, one of the songs that was part of this uh, soundtrack. It's actually how I discovered Halsey. Halsey did the credits song. Right. <laughs> Castle. Um, yeah, it's it's one of her big like hits. Um, it was originally on her, on her debut album. She re-recorded it for uh, the release of that film. Uh, and, and I thought it would be fun to compare and contrast that with Billie Eilish's You Should See Me in a Crown, yeah. which I think has a lot of similar uh, imagery, mm -hmm. and uh, but some differences, so we will talk about those after the break. Yeah, um, yeah but first, we were kind of on the same page uh, as far as the the themes go um, for, for watching Huntsman Winter War, um, because... Uh, it seems to me because of the Maleficent being like this kind of, you know, it's something that I think people recognize as like a, a, a benchmark in terms of like fairy tale retellings um, and being like Disney kind of putting their step forward and being like, this is a different version of this character that we kind of redefined, you know, right. 40 years ago. Um a lot longer than that. I'm so old. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, that that being kind of like what is in my mind of recent memories, like this this kind of installment in that. And to genre. be fair, Disney isn't the first to do it. I'm pretty sure Maleficent was kind of their contribution to this wave of seeing mm -hmm. stories from the villain side. So I'm pretty right. sure Wicked came out before that. True. Yeah, that's probably Wicked was probably another huge one that mm -hmm. was like, we're going to tell you the Wicked Queens, Wicked Witches, for right. up what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to think if there's others. I'm sure there are. But those are the two big ones that come to mind uh -huh. as far as like the most and, popular. And as far as both of them being what we've kind of seen is like, these are trying to transgress in some way. Yes. They're trying to say like, okay, this is the villain story. Or even if they're doing, like, in this example, the story of, like, there is, like, the, the there are heroes, not anti-heroes, that are moving the story forward. But there's this kind of idea that, uh, 
the Wicked Queen is this figure that they're using, certainly in a lot of the promotional material for it. And um, it's being sold as like uh, uh, almost like a horror fantasy version of this story yeah. where like she has control over um, well I, I think I'm mixing it up I know Maleficent seems to be much more in touch with like this army of yeah like, well, she's, fairy they have and, her straight up as a fairy which I mean she is in the originals uh, they call her the bad fairy which oh, is why they didn't want to invite her to the christening right. which is what starts the whole mess uh, um, so that's one thing this, that surprised they show me her as actually being part of fairy and having fairies at her command uh-huh. in the, the new ones. Right. Because I think I'm used to being somebody that, that uh, started into fantasy with the Chronicles of Narnia. I was so used to the idea of the queen having right. command over all the bad looking things, be they like goblins or uh, bad fairies or, you know, good creatures that she's turned evil. Um, so I, I just kind of assumed that this would be what happens with it with it even though I, I saw from the trailer that, that of the first one that there she there was a lot of interesting like venom type powers where she you know can transform into like gold um and uses these kind of black plate yeah like and what i was gonna tell things. you i i almost told him something at the beginning of this one that really wasn't relevant in this one but the concept of why she wanted snow white mm-hmm. was she drained life from other people. Mm-hmm. That's how she stayed young, which is right. what she does at the very beginning of this one with the king that she's with. Mm-hmm. Basically, she takes their life force, and right. that's what keeps her young. Mm-hmm. And Snow White, I think, is the kind of idea that she could have stayed young forever if she had gotten Snow White's heart, mm-hmm. which is why she wanted that whole thing. Right. Um, which is what kicks off the first one. Which, oh. to be fair, I don't remember tons about the first one. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. And I remember it being funny because they, and I didn't expect it to be because the dwarves were some pretty good common relief. Mm. But, um, but yeah, this one I remembered a mm. lot more for multiple reasons. Uh-huh. Before we get into the real deep digging into it, I just want to praise the beauty of the sets in this movie. <laughs> the Queen's Castle is amazing, and it's like, yeah, I, I think that's that something that, my castle. that we should both geek out about before we get into the more like academic conversation right. is that, like, I think that they they really impressed me with the level of detail with both special effects and practical effects. Um, and it's something that, because we have so many entries like, like Jack the Giant Slayer, um, that kind of look more thrown together than epics that we grew up with, like Star Wars or something like that, right. or such high watermarks for creature design and... Set and just and, set design and you know, everything. Magic, just any level of detail that they had in Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or other things like that where they right. paid so much attention to everything right. in the background of that movie. Mm-hmm. But then there are you're, things you're, like You're that. used to kind of like, okay, this is a fantasy movie, but this has like half the budget of those things. Right. Or maybe they had half the time because they have to crank it out. Sure, you know, right. because it's more of a cash grab than it is like a prestige thing that they're, that the studio is <coughs> really banking on. And so... What I thought was cool was that, like, it it stayed in its lane in the sense that it didn't seem like it was... Like, I think you could make the case, like, something like the Chronicles of Narnia movie wanted to be like Lord of the Rings and maybe suffered a little bit in terms of that story doesn't really have the same, like, 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that it does differently and it shines more in like intimate moments and, and stuff like that, as opposed to being like this huge blockbuster thing. It's like more of a fairy tale than it is an right. epic, you know, thing. So um, I thought this was good because it, even though there were much less in terms of like big set pieces and right. big and action like huge, scenes, huge wars, battle what, scenes, the like time that it did take to make good, really nice sets and costumes, the costumes were amazing. And and my favorite thing was the creatures. Yes. I I loved how the the goblins were kind of like these ape things. Like they moved like apes, they swung from trees and stuff. Uh and they but they were much darker hued. Uh not they didn't have any fur and they had these like goat horns that they actually like used. They like butted people. Yeah. Uh and there was this thing that like they if they saw that you had like a gemstone on you some kind of treasure that they like, they're like sniffing you. And so they, even how they direct that scene is like, we're just going to stay stock still. And if it starts trying to attack us, then we'll retaliate. But that moment that it takes makes it more tense Mm -hmm. because you're like, they don't want to piss this thing off because it has like a whole group of, you know, so there's a lot of stuff that it takes the time to do that. I really appreciated and it made it more entertaining in the long run. Um, but I think, uh, what we were kind of getting at before, um, it's interesting to me that like you're saying they're dealing with this thing of, um, of having these stories have the the female characters have more agency. Yeah. Uh, but as, whereas before uh, in, in the last episode, we were kind of talking about agency and whether you can have like a damsel in distress, how, and how much distress can you put a character and have you still respect them and not think that they're like the kids in Jurassic Park that you're just like yelling at because they're getting all these characters that you love, like adults in trouble because of their, you know, incompetency. Um, In this one, I was thinking more along the lines of you have these characters that are very powerful, but kind of like, you know, they're like harpies. They're like more creature than person. Yeah. And so, if it, the nearest comparison that I could think of was somebody like the Joker, who they go through such terrible suffering, uh, and they, instead of becoming like the hero who is harnessing that and becoming the darkness, you know, um, and trying to scare other people so that no child has to ever suffer the way that they you know did. Bruce Wayne has, they're becoming the darkness and using that to terrify people and. Stuff like that. I so, think it was a good thing that it didn't, they it had stories going on two levels, right? No. So it had the plot with the couple right. trying to take care of the wickedness that was happening. Like they uh-huh. need to get the mirror and get it somewhere safe so that it doesn't take over the world. Right. And then they had the other plot with the two queens. And mm-hmm. I think the plot with the two queens was meant to be a more iconic fairy tale level right. story, as mm-hmm. opposed to the more realistic version of the relationship with the two people and right. what was going on there. So you kind of get the best of both. Like you get the whole big iconic. These are just meant to signify in a, in a big grand mm-hmm. epic fantasy kind of right. way, like kind of like a parable, right? More fable. These two queens showing story. this kind of conflict, as opposed to the nitty gritty of a couple that has had problems and needs to fix it so that they can take care of business, you know? Yeah. Because what I was worried about was in order to create a very comic booky villain 
in the way that that I saw, you know, because the promotional stuff for the Queen was so heavy in the first trailer for the first movie, I assumed okay, they're trying to build this franchise off of how hot is Charlize Theron, right? And how many evil things can she get away with doing <laughs> because she know. looks glamorous? Yeah, and we can make her this like poster child for this thing, much in the way that I would guess in the male side you would say about Iron Man. Right. So idea that he's this kind of like edgy character um, and he's giving that kind of like thing for the adults to enjoy while the kids, you know, point out like how awesome his, you know, costume is and everything. Um, they're building a franchise and so I'm like, okay, how much of this just is going to seem unearned by the story? Uh, and I thought it was really good at first of all, Charlize Theron is having a blast. Oh, she loved that part to <laughs> death. Loved that part so much. She's just like completely owning every yes. line. Just like, I am going to be the most powerful thing in this room and there is nothing you can do about it. <laughs> right. And, uh, so yeah. that there's that level of commitment from her as an actress. Uh, but also I think that the, like you're like the whole idea of her having this, this conflict with her sister rather than, rather than taking this, um, because the, the, the idea of like, okay, we're going to do another movie recycling so many sequels have the problem of recycling the same story right. as the first one so i was actually happy that they didn't have snow white in this one snow white uh, doesn't appear at all right they mention her but she's mm -hmm. not there right so which was the first good signal that i was like okay good this is not just going to be like let's throw snow white into another story right because the story isn't really about snow white uh -huh. in these it's and about, i think it's the i think even if you have the cynical opinion that i know there was a whole big scandal with her i think with the twilight director so I don't know if this was that time period. Oh, maybe. And so she was just kind of like F Hollywood for a little bit. But even if you're cynical and you think, okay, she's not in this movie because she doesn't want to be or because her contract is up or something, that I think makes it even more impressive that they pulled this together right. if they were if planning they on to. trying to do something, you know. Um, but I thought, yeah, but I thought like the idea of having it be, uh, so does the does Freya appear in the first no, movie? No, Freya's not in the first one at oh. all. So I think that that, that storyline, like you're saying, is more this iconic idea. Um, and I think there's something that bothers me a little bit about fairy tale retellings where it seems like they want to deconstruct the ideas of the things while still managing to have that iconic thing that everybody likes. And so sometimes that's very non-diegetic in the sense that you have a character that I was kind of mentioning before we started recording um, it seems like they want Kylo Ren to be as despicable as Darth Vader, but also have him be much more humanly written. Right. So, like, he has this connection with uh, Rey that they don't necessarily go into with, like, between Darth Vader and Luke, where, like, you get that within their fighting, but they're actually trying to kill each other yeah. as they're debating, like, the ethics of the thing, as opposed to it seems like they're really trying to make uh, Kylo Ren, like there might be a redemption arc for him. And so people are kind of saying like in this era where there are actual fascists out there that believe that you should ethically cleanse places. Um, can you have somebody that destroyed three planets right. and still try to be setting up that thing? So uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk about. I feel like they did it pretty well with like you're saying with Freya, they set up that she is heartbroken. It is very automatic in the way that you expect with a fairy tale, where like, 
okay, my child is dead. I will now become the biggest baddest. <laughs> yes, the biggest baddest. Okay. <laughs> um, it is very... Um, so I, the other interesting thing I thought about this was that they pulled together several different fairy tale tropes for this story. Hmm. So it wasn't just, oh, let's kind of take the Snow Queen and squeeze all this other stuff into it. Because technically that could have been her. She was very Snow Queen-like. Uh -huh. um, and the Snow Queen did do the kind of thing where she would manipulate other people to have their hearts become cold, which is what uh -huh. she does to the couple. Um, but then they also have the mirror thing, which is very Lord of the Rings-ish, where right. there's this evil thing that is going to tempt everybody to do mm -hmm. horrible stuff. Yeah, um, I'll give them credit for not trying to do... Like, you could, like, take the example of, like, Disney coming out with something and DreamWorks coming out with something right. very similar. They did this good thing of, like, this isn't a fan service thing of Merida versus Elsa. Right. It was very much, like, we're going to do... It's justifying its own existence as a film by inventing its own language. Its own story, its own thing. Yeah, and, and actually saying, like, okay, this is our version of this thing. We actually have the characters making decisions that are their own. They're not acting in this big metatextual thing where, yeah. like, because you saw Brave, now you can see this version of this type of character yeah. just because she shoots arrows. You know, um, that the Hunt's girl character uh, is very much her own character, right. her own person. Um, and you had kind of brought up that there, there is kind of this uh, metatextual thing about um, competency. And uh, it's another thing that I think is it's not it's usually not left up to debate because we we for so long have had fiction about women written by men mm -hmm. and um, people just want to like let the the like to me the fact that Emily Blunt and Charlie Theron and Jessica Chastain or even in a movie like this like. I really respect all of them as actresses in their own right and that they're allowed to act like they do in other movies right. where they are good. Yeah. As opposed to acting like cartoon characters. Right. Um, and so I respected that their characters had like real pathos within the movie. Um, and I think, I think part of it, because it was doing such good work with the, the dialogue and the different things, I wasn't as, worried as I thought I would be about them kind of jutting in because like I know in the in the night the um the X-Men movie that we just uh saw that did the Dark Phoenix thing they just kind of shoved in this thing where Jennifer Lawrence goes in a rant about women yeah and it just out of nowhere yeah. it, it, and it feels it felt so, very strange yeah so like I you I think you can take that she did like she would be angry at Charles, but they hadn't done enough to set up that this character is misogynist. Yes. For you to... For you to just go off on that right You know, yeah. As opposed to this, where um, I don't think we ever know what happened to Ravenna, that she hates men the way she does, but uh -huh. she just does. And <laughs> uh. she wants her sister to see that men are worthless. Mm. And so she does something to her sister to make her think men are worthless. And then uh. her sister continues it. She does stuff to that woman. That's why, that's why there was a difference between uh -huh. what she showed the huntsman and what she showed the huntswoman yeah. because she didn't care what the huntsman thought. The huntsman was, she's like, he's an idiot. He thinks uh -huh. he's in love, but it's not going to last. So he's just going to go off and do his thing. Right. She just thought that about men, that that's what they do. Right. As opposed to her, 
where she's like, she needs to learn this. She's awesome, and I can keep her here. But she needs to understand that men are not going to be there for her. Mm. So that's why she did that to her. She wanted right. the woman to stay hers. Yeah. And I think that the because of how naturalistic the relationship stuff was between Chris Hemsworth and Jessica Chastain's character, I kind of wanted there to be... That, that was the only thing that was really dissonant to me. I felt like both storylines worked. They were both serviceable. There wasn't a moment where I was like, this is stupid. Why am I watching this? Um... I really like both of them, but I think because they were both different types of stories and you got much more time with the, the main couple, I was kind of wanting there to be actual dialogue between Ravenna and Freya where like she's just like, men suck or, yeah. you know, like different stuff like that because I trusted Charlie Starron to be able to say that stuff and really right, sell and it. make it believable. Um, yeah. but, but I think that like at the same time, it is kind of cool that this is a movie that's a fairy tale retelling, and it doesn't it doesn't assume that you don't understand little subtle things like that. Right. Um, and it does do a good job of not hitting you over the, the head, head with it. different yeah. things. Because it's um, enough that her sister's egging her on the whole time. Like, mm -hmm. I thought you were in charge up here. Mm -hmm. You're going to let people be this dumb in your kingdom? Like, they just right. broke your laws. Yeah. And, you know, she wasn't, like, trying to... Because... So it was neat because everybody has their own different way of seeing the universe, right? Uh -huh. So for Freya, it's men are dumb and they just hurt you. So just be frozen and don't care about this mm -hmm. love crap. But I am going to take care of all the children and make sure all the children in the world understand no. that there is no such thing as this froofy love stuff. No. You just got to be awesome and take charge of the world, right? No. So that's what she tried to do. Mm -hmm. Even in her taking over other kingdoms, she was taking their children. It wasn't just, let me take over the kingdom and rule you with my iron fist. It right. was, no, I am going to take all the children and make sure they all understand this principle. Right. Her sister, on the other hand, is just straight up power hungry. Oh. And she wanted her sister to destroy the world, mm. basically. Mm. So to her, telling her sister that men are horrible isn't the point. Mm. To her, telling her sister that you are supposedly in charge and you're letting all this nonsense happen and you're supposed to be the one punishing these people let's see you be the ruthless person you're supposed to be and punish people so like everybody was pushing for stuff based right. on their own their world, world view. view yeah yeah um, which i think was great that was a good internally consistent thing to do instead of right. having you know both evil queens have the same issue they didn't have the right. same issue yeah and it wasn't it wasn't i think that the the um as much as i'm, I'm looking forward to to um Angelina Jolie and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh yes, fighting. going to town. I think that the idea of there being just something as simple as we're, we're siblings that have a rivalry, right, would have felt like you can't sustain that over an hour yeah. and a half. Um, and uh, I think while it was kind of like tired to me after a while, people were just walking up to each other and whispering in, in each other's ear. That that idea that like that's the only thing that makes this character sinister, I assumed like I think that like watching something like Once Upon a Time or something like that, like when you're when you're on network TV and you can't really do as much in terms of like gore and stuff like that, they they have to do stuff like that. They have to make somebody creepy just by how they talk or you right. know, stuff like that. So I thought they did a good job of making them intimidating without just being like it like they they did they took it one step higher they didn't make them um 
just cartoons. No. But they also made it that kind of fable type thing of like, uh, you know, um, Ravenna just gets to be a psycho, yeah, evil witch queen, and like you're saying, she's kind of the warm tongue in Freya's ear to say like, love doesn't exist, and right. you're you're foolish. Um, and I, that was something initially that was going to be my argument was what if this was if this was written more poorly, what I, I was kind of that straw man I was kind of creating was a lot of these things think that just because a, a woman is just as cruel as a man, that that means that she's not, she's not a spoiled princess. She is the evil queen. And that's a badass like thing to be. Right. And so it, it ignores the fact that that person is more childish than right. the hero. And it kind of glorifies that position and it makes it so that like, they just do very melodramatic stuff. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And that makes them, it makes the, the studios convinced, okay, this person is cool. They'll sell tickets and they don't have to be as complex as like a Thanos right. or the Joker or something like that. But I thought it was a good, it was good at being iconic without just completely, you know, forsaking right. an, like internal logic right. within the, and they, film. and then real quick, I know you have other notes we're going to get into, but the competency thing that you mentioned earlier so the difference between the two queens, Freya was a very competent queen. She was terrifying, but she had taken, she raised an army and trained that army so mm. that she could take over other kingdoms. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to magically make you amazing. That uh, wasn't, it, she wasn't magically cheating. She had right. trained those people from kids right. to be an amazing army and took over a whole bunch of other kingdoms. Mm. As opposed to the other lady who just, you know, did the whole Black Widow thing where she would marry a king and kill him. So mm. now she's queen. Right kind of stuff right. and then wasn't necessarily great at keeping that kingdom obviously because Snow White took it so like she wasn't as great Yeah, the two Hunts people were very competent about equally competent actually depending on which fighting style they were doing uh -huh. but the, the chick having that one skill with never missing with a, her shot with uh -huh. a bow was very cool yeah. and an important plot point mm. and then the fun of the dwarves thinking that dwarvish women were horrible and then the dwarvish women showing up and being really competent uh -huh. <laughs> trappers was pretty fun. Right. So like it was, it was a neat commentary on who's actually being competent in this story. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was good that in the same level that you get with the sisters, it is something that like, uh, I think a family could enjoy watching oh, yeah. so that like you, you get like, this is something that's universal. People get this story. Yeah. But at the and same time, it, it's got it, humor. It's managing it's to. It's managing, like you're saying, to challenge some of those assumptions that you have about different character types. Yeah. Like you might assume the dwarves are just going to be comic relief, but they do a good job of actually humanizing them to the point where when one of the characters gets frozen, you're just like, oh, that makes me sad yeah. because I like them. It's like I like those guys. I think you know there are other movies in this ilk that. I'm like relieved when the comic relief gets like trapped or like taken away because it's like they're not, they didn't do a job of like making them seem like a real person. They right. just write jokes for that, they're that character. Um, but no, that's actually the end of my notes. Oh, well, we're uh, going to compare it to The Lion King. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to compare okay. Snow White to The Lion King. I think we have time before the break. So, okay. uh, I, I, I had mentioned in the Lion King episode, we talked about the reboot at the at Philly Podcast. What else that up? Um, that. Simba has this arc of, um, oh, won't it be great to be king because I can do whatever I want? And then 
uh, quickly realizes that being a king is hard. It's so hard that, in fact, you might get killed by your brother. Um, and so, like, that shocks him into, like, this worldview he has of when you're a prince, the world is just handed to you. So it's this really cool male arc of he has to go through this journey in order to earn the right to rule the kingdom as opposed to just being handed everything. Right. So I think what's interesting is that with the Snow White story, you do have a very similar type of thing right. of but here's what I'm saying everything about, is sunshine and roses and all the birds talk to them. Well, this is <laughs> where this is where we get into the, the the new thing about giving female characters agency in the in the fairy tales. Uh -huh. Because in Snow White at the beginning, you don't know what she thinks. You just uh -huh. know she's very sweet and very pretty and <laughs> the birds like to talk to her. Yeah. Like you don't know if she can run a kingdom. You don't know if she wants to run a kingdom. Uh -huh. Like, it doesn't even matter because she's just going to go marry a prince that is going to run a kingdom. Like, no, that's not so, uh, her thing. Before you get to your point, does it do anything in the first movie to make that different? I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's not a very good vote of confidence for the movie. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I really don't remember a whole lot about it, except she had really cool armor and the dwarves were funny. And but, then, oh, we're going to have to to speed up the break, but I think... That's good to tease what's yes. going to happen on the other side. So we'll talk to you then. Okay, so. Yes. <laughs> so Snow White, they or most fairy tales, they don't really go into that kind of thing, like what the girl wants out of life. Uh -huh. Disney started doing that more, mm -hmm. like when they, with the newer stuff, like with Little Mermaid and whatever, they kind of gave you more of an idea of what the yeah, girl wants. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it is very much like a Pollyanna world that they set up. Right. But they... Like, that's a thing. Like, if you study Disney movies, there's the I Want song. Yes. And everyone like, has literally. one. Literally. <laughs> but then, so then she also is confronted with the horribleness of life, mm -hmm. where the stepmother, her stepmother, the queen, wants to kill her. Uh -huh. And so she's taken out by the huntsman. Mm -hmm. The huntsman shows her mercy, and she runs away, mm -hmm. as opposed to in Lion King, where Scar... Once it killed, right. he just doesn't do it himself. Yeah, the hyena doesn't like, I'll let you off easy. Right. <laughs> There's not that beat. Yeah. But either which way, they manage to escape. Uh -huh. They end up with some goofy friends. Yeah. <laughs> in, in Lion King, these goofy friends. Snow White ends up with the goofy dwarves. Um, and then it's not really so much Snow White earning the right to come back mm -hmm. in the same way that Simba's earning the right to rule. Right. Like this is one of the other things I was saying really in the, in the fairy tales for the female arc, you don't get the whole, I have to go be badass and kick butt and right. take over stuff. It's more, I have to resist temptation long enough mm. for the prince to show up to do that. Right. So in Snow White, she's literally resi resisting the temptations of the evil queen in disguise coming to give her stuff, mm. which she doesn't actually in the original story she right. takes the gifts thinking right. oh hey this is cool and the dwarves come and save her from the right. stuff and i think i think probably part of why that is codified is that in the english monarchy like even though there have been woman monarchs there was still this sustained idea that right a woman doesn't woman have the power. same capacity to rule and so the idea with a, a male thing is that they have to do the fighting to get the thing. Right. And so the more complex those stories became, you actually do get stories. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say all of them, but you do get stories of this person is foolish and they need to be taught. To be that, wise. Yeah. Uh, and so 
I but think, then, sorry, what real quick? But yeah, but, but the... what you're getting, what you're getting to at is that that idea of fighting temptation is not the same as this person is earning the competency to rule right. by being like trained by a mentor or some one, any one of those tropes that men have. They're just getting this idea of like the apple, right? And like, oh, I need to not. You know, be trusting of everybody who comes by and gives you presents, right? Yeah, like, like weird things like that, where it's like you can't. It's not as easily translatable into a modern right era. Like, and I want to study a little more about what the origins of these are because they are very similar, all of them. Mm -hmm. So, like, it gets to the point where the the female heroine dies. Mm -hmm. Snow White dies, right? Technically, mm -hmm. and is put in a coffin. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then the prince comes and revives her. Uh -huh. And marries her and saves the day. Mm -hmm. Same thing in Sleeping Beauty. She t She's not dead, but she's asleep mm -hmm. forever until the prince shows up and fixes it. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood gets eaten by the wolf. Mm -hmm. And the dude, the he's another huntsman, <laughs> right. comes and saves her. Like, it is always the trope that girl has horrible things happen to her and then dies. And then dude comes and saves her. You're like, right. I don't know what this is from, but we need to figure that out. Because it's a very, very uh -huh. common thing. Right. But all that to say. But I and I think what's interesting about it, and what's one of the things maybe in my mind as a, a, a defense of the idea that like you can still show a woman being peril in a thing, is that there's this value structure of the man needs to want to save a woman. Yes, that's they still have a value a desire, within that yeah, story. Yeah. So what's interesting is that in a time when you know, women are in the workforce and they're be it's being recognized that woman's work is not just the, you know, y'all have little brains and if you just stay in your kitchen, it's like all of those kind of narratives around, you know, keeping a, a woman in this box. Since a lot of those are being challenged, it's this weird thing of why would you portray a woman as being a damsel if they're doing comparable work and um, that idea is being redone in all these different things. So, um, so the new tendency in retellings of giving the woman more agency, even if it's just like in the new the Disney Cinderella, mm -hmm. where she is she is actively saying, "I am still going to be brave enough to be kind to these people that hate me," mm -hmm. or like in this one where the woman still want to be loved they want the security of that relationship but they are not you know sitting at home waiting for the fairy godmother to make magic and have it happen uh -huh. they are out actively doing things to yeah. get that right and so i still feel like chris helmsworth's character saved her because he worked to get her trust back right and show her that he still loved her right but it wasn't this like i'm going to swing in and everybody up for you because she could do that too like right. yeah. it's it's the understanding of the root of why a woman wants those things uh -huh. and acknowledging that she might not need you to do what you think you need she needs you need to do mm. like it did not say that very well but <laughs> i got the idea <laughs> you got the idea <laughs> but that she still wants that security of that relationship there mm. same same thing with the the freya wanted the security of her children loving her mm even though she wouldn't say that because she was had been hurt so much. Right. But she's just like, I want this to be a thing. I want this relationship to be real and permanent. Mm -hmm. Anyway. 
Yeah. All of, you didn't think I would get that deep out of this crazy <laughs> movie, right? They're like, you got all of this from the Huntsman? Like, what? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how deep we get about these songs. Oh, about the songs. Okay. I, I, I think that they're both very easily classified as bangers. Bangers? <laughs> that is the millennial term. What? <laughs> because, like... Millennials, y'all gotta stop. I can't uh, handle this. Um, you need to make a dictionary for me. Is there a millennial dictionary? If there's a millennial dictionary, please... Send me the well, link. Uh, Urban Dictionary usually can at help unboxing you. Story Podcast at gmail.com. I need a millennial <laughs> dictionary. You know, it's called the internet. It's like, you can look <laughs> up what these things mean. Anyway. So, um, what does it mean to be a banger song? It's like a, it's like a club. Like, it's so funny because it's in my brain as like, it's obvious what this means, so I can't <laughs> put it into words. No, the idea is just that it's like when you're in a club and a good song comes on, it's kind of like that's more bombastic. This is the most uh, <laughs> the most work anybody has done to explain <laughs> such a very <laughs> stupid word. Um, but Does no, it just say you want to he headbang. Is that what you're talking about? Is that why you, they say my it? Sister's so old. I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's just like a song you want to dance to. I guess would be the oh, biggest. But thing. I don't think they're dancing. But I think I I I have the perception of it as a very broy thing. Oh. Of like that's a banger, meaning it's more of like a thumping bass of a song. Okay. And so it's so like like I I don't know if you've heard of dub heard dubstep. Yeah. So that idea of the, the bass being so prevalent in the song that it ceases to be a song, it just is a it's thing to move to. Well, it is very... Okay, so both songs, they have a lot in common. We're going to go into what they have in common first. So we are talking about Halsey's Castle and oh. Billie Eilish's um, You Should See Me in a Crown. Hmm. They are both very rhythm heavy. There is oh. very little extra in instrumentation. It is mostly right. drums and rhythm. Um. um they both reference a uh, woman in power, either a queen or whatever. We're not exactly sure what the position is. They don't specify. Right. But the one woman's going to go take over the castle. No, mm. oh, she does say queen. They're going to make me the queen. Yeah. Um, Billie Eilish doesn't necessarily say that, but she does the main chorus is, you should see me in a crown. Like, right. you should see how good I am when I'm in power. Like, right. I got this. Um, they both reference male, adversarial male attitudes. Right. Um, in Castle, in the chorus, they're talking about there's a man at the castle that either tells her she should keep her pretty mouth shut or why you gotta be, that, so, why you gotta mean. be so mean. <laughs> um, in uh, You Should See Me in a Crown, it's a little more, a uh, little less poetic. <laughs> it's literally like this conversation of like a guy that's just like, hey, baby, you look pretty. Come on over. And he's like, first of all, I ain't your baby. Second of all, when you see what happens when I'm in a crown, like uh -huh. you're going down, buddy, shut up. Mm. So, but both of them are, and it's interesting because in most fairy tales, as we were discussing, um, it's the pretty girl that's the heroine, mm. right? Usually, if even if the evil stepmother or queen or whatever starts out as pretty, she's actually an ugly hag that just happens to look pretty because she has magic or whatever. Mm. Um, in both of these, being pretty is almost a burden to the main character, mm. right? That's a good point, yeah. Like, it's attracting attention in the wrong way for you. Mm. So it's like, I don't want to be this person everybody's looking at. Even right. in Castle, it's like, she's got all these people taking pictures of her. And she's like, I don't want to be this poised, I don't have a pristine person anymore. Like, get away from me. Uh -huh. um, 
Yeah, I think I can dig into that a little bit more after your after okay. points. And then both of them have this, like, I'm proud, and I know that's not, like, great, but I'm going to use it anyway <laughs> kind of attitude. Way to put it, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, um, in Halsey's uh, song, it is, like, I'm already choking on my pride, so there's no use crying about it. It's like, mm. yeah, I know. I got this pride problem. But mm. Like, whatever. I'm taking right. over the kingdom, so it don't matter. Uh. And then in You Should See Me in a Crown, like, the whole haughty attitude of that chorus mm. is just like, you know, you see me in a crown. I'm going to run this place. And you have no idea. Mm. Like, it's just this, like, pride is not necessarily portrayed as good, but portrayed as useful. Mm. And I don't know if we necessarily call it pride. It could also be confidence mm-hmm. but the concept is there uh-huh. and then um in both the woman is portrayed as dangerous to other people <laughs> right yeah and i think that that's the thing it turns on is it actually does acknowledge that usual male trope of the power corrupting yeah and so what's interesting is that even in the face of like in castle the idea that there is this very haughty person that she's usurping, usurping the throne from, from yeah. that that um, underestimates her. There's still this idea of like, I'm being put in this limelight, in this situation where I have to be the center of attention and pride is something that is almost as adversarial to me as this this actual person that is that underestimates, that underestimates me. So it's interesting that even, like I said, even though <laughs> these are bangers <laughs> and that they're <laughs> sounds so white just saying that word um even though these are things that like you could think of as but the, the, what, what i kind of want to get into is that um in terms of genre both of these artists are so whittled down by like internet culture that you used to be able to just designate somebody as a pop artist right. as a hip-hop artist and stuff like that but we're getting into this thing of like Rather than somebody being an alt-rock person, they're just kind of alternative in general because their music can sound like trap music, which right. I think is mostly what Billie Eilish's music sounds like. Or they can have facets of pop like Halsey does, but her look is very punk. Yeah. And she, through her music videos, presents herself in this kind of like Mad Mask dystopia thing. Mad Max. I think I said, said Mad, Mad, Mad Mask. Mask. It's like, what's Mad Mask? I want to know. <laughs> Mad Max kind of dystopia thing. So that she comes across as trying to project the image of I am beautiful but also dangerous thing. Right. And so, like, um, it's interesting because I I feel like not having that preponderance like Halsey does within her song and, you know, Billie Eilish being so young that there's not exactly, she's not hasn't had to go through that type of thing yet that I prefer to listen to her music because it is so pure and diluted down to like, this song sounds cool. I hope you like it. <laughs> because even even the origin of it, as opposed to Halsey having this being like part of her debut album and being like, I'm the, the bomb, listen to me. Um, Billie Eilish's line comes from the Sherlock show. Oh. So she just liked uh, Moriarty's line. Okay when he says that and we're just like, this would be a cool idea for a song. And so I personally like how 
she is doing that balance, I think, because of just the nature of being a woman pop artist, that she's trying to learn how to be like, like, for example, she has a song about not getting addicted to Xanax, um, where it's like, there's obviously like dangers within this world, and they terrify me, but then there's this purity of, like, I'm the bomb. I make good music yeah, with my I brother, know. and, so, and like, you know, and so, yeah, and so, like, it's a funny thing, and I feel like it's part of the alt-rock movement now of, like, I can have a very specific lane that I'm in where I don't need to be Katy Perry. Right. But I also don't need to be Marilyn Manson. Yeah. I like that the the freedom to to be as creative as you want uh-huh. in your music and have people on the internet appreciate it. Right. Like, you don't have to go to... It's almost like how publishing is doing now. You don't have to go to one of the big five mm. publishers right. and say, this is my exact genre. This is why you should publish me. Right. There are enough indie houses now and publishing on your own where you can get stuff out mm-hmm. and still be some weird niche somewhere and people right. are going to like it. It might not be millions of people, right. but it will be enough people to And, and it's it. something that my generation grew up like. I, I, I didn't realize this until recently, but in thinking back at how, you know, image comics really influenced my opinion of self-publishing because the whole idea with them was they got to this point of talent where they realized people were recognizing their name as being a brand as opposed to Marvel being the brand. Right. And so they're like, if we leave, we can publish what we want to publish and people will follow us as opposed to following Spider-Man right. or whatever, you know, titles that we're on. Uh, and so I feel like similarly the internet and um, the idea that like, okay, these, there are these uh, and from like different other publishing venues, like you're saying, like self-publishing, there's this idea of like there are the I think it's more it's a, it's a technology thing. You can buy a microphone and just record something in your room, that type of thing. There the um, the distribution is easier. Yeah, you can find your audience on the internet and make something that seems important to you. Yeah, not necessarily what but this other pop ones. artist makes. And so what's interesting to me is I would classify both of these people as pop artists because they're not doing a specific sound and they're both top 40 artists right but at the same time they're able to be more themselves they're able to be more authentic than somebody that you would think of from like the 2000s pop era of like britney spears right and they all have to kind of sound the same and they all have to have like these highly produced music videos and stuff like that so then real quick i like um the, like so, I, I've told John before that Billie Eilish intimidates me a lot. Like Halsey, I, <laughs> I think she thought, intimidates everybody yeah, because she's, she's sixteen years old and she's doing this. And she's writing thing. about like suicide so, like, and Halsey's drug addiction. awesome. I'm not gonna like this Halsey. She's awesome, and I think she's badass. Mm-hmm. And she's cool, and her song is more about um, like fighting this pressure to be what people think she ought to be, mm-hmm. and saying like, well, whatever, I'm gonna take over this place and make it what I want it to be, kind of thing. Billie Eilish is, is a lot more direct and just like, I already am in charge, but I'm just not showing you the full glory of what that looks like right now. Uh-huh. But it's also very tied into death. So I have this like picture in my head of Billie Eilish as a vampire queen. Like that's totally where this song is going. Uh-huh. Um, because especially she has that one part about it. It just gets very 
bloody and there's a hearse involved and mm -hmm. stuff. And so it just made me think like, okay, she's the new and I think queen you of get, the vampires. I think the biggest evidence of that is that the music video that she has is of spiders crawling all over her yeah, body. Which so I like, can't watch. There are so I have not watched the video because yeah. I'm arachnophobic. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, but that idea of like her trying to like it's kind of like this try hard thing of like I want to prove to you how fearless I am comes across in that and if that and her lyrics like it's very much I want to try everything do everything um and it is something that makes her interesting because I'm both equal parts impressed and hoping that she doesn't turn into Miley Cyrus because yeah no there's plenty of people really that young that go crazy yeah. But it is cool to me that her brother is her producer, and that and very obviously cares about her. I haven't seen a whole lot of their videos from... together, but I've seen them interact, and it's like mm -hmm. he obviously very much really cares about her. And she comes from this idea of, or, or not this idea, this school of of traditional dance, and so I feel like the fact that as opposed to having like you know I, there are a bunch of stories of like Shia LaBeouf's father being this horrible person that like trained him from a wee lad like there's there was a trailer recently about like he's doing a movie that's showing how he grew up and it looks kind of terrifying um but like like we've seen those types of things from like michael jackson to now yeah. and but it seems more like she was traditionally trained as an artist and so she knows very much what she likes to do what she wants and i think it's the fact that she's able to do that actually gives me hope that she doesn't have this kind of like idea of like, oh, I'm a Disney star. I need to have one face to the public and one right, face, face, you know, so that it kind of gives me some, you know, anything can happen. But it's kind of nice that somebody that young is doing stuff this weird <laughs> because it's like, OK, you know, you know, this this looks to me like what a teenager would right. do. Right. Um, as opposed to what, you know, somebody's like, you know, dressing her to be something else. Um, I wanted to do versions of Edgar Allan Poe's poetry songs. How about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think well, she would rock that. If we ever meet her. Yeah. Just say, do you so, know what Phil is? Can you do <laughs> totally do that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you should tweet her and say, come to Balticon. Yes. And come to Balticon and do we, Annabelle Lee. We are weird, just like you. <laughs> one of us. One, one of us. All right. Well, that was fun. Yes. Um. I, I enjoy that there are these, like, very terrible retellings and that we are in this era where, because of things like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, there is this kind of, like, oh, these things are in the public consciousness again, right. and people are, like, playing around with them uh, because uh, that that idea of recontextualizing female power as I am the queen, like, that to me was what attracted me to Game of Thrones because I was like, okay, this woman is she is the mother of the dragons and that seemed to me to be a very deeply true idea that there's chaos and this mom is powerful enough to control it and um, there's this idea that like she has a very parallel similar arc to a man of like I have to learn to control this power, but they're doing it in this very feminine way. Yeah. Of of like oh, there are all these people that are that are that are pressed, that are hurting, that need help, and right. I'm going to save them and make that's what Freya was doing. I'm so. going to free all of these poor oppressed people and teach them the truth. Mm -hmm. 
about the world, mm-hmm. even though my truth is slowly becoming more and more psychotic every day. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I think because of, uh, you know, uh, on, on Twitter I've announced that we're doing a, a you know, Breaking Bad binge, uh, because that's in my, fresh in my mind again, it's interesting that it, there is that kind of transgressive parallel that, like, most of these arcs are being made as, like, power corrupts, certainly, and uh, there, are some, there are good examples like this where she learns, at least by the end, before her comeuppance, oh, wait, like, I'm doing these for this for the people, and so as my, you know, dying wish, I'm going to try to defend them from this evil psychopath sister that I have that's kind of, like, in that last moment gets to be the picture of ultimate evil. Yeah. Uh, that that she's keeping at bay. So yeah, it was a cool movie. Good acting, good effects. Yes, good story. It was better than I expected when I went to see it, mm. and I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty good. All we right, we should well, do a whole series of surprisingly good movies. Like Shazam oh. <laughs> was a surprisingly good movie. Oh, I have one. <laughs> I I think maybe breaking genre is a good lane for that. Oh, okay. Because um, I put down on the schedule, not on the schedule, but on the list to do eventually. Is cat don't cats don't dance <laughs> because that's one of my favorite. Oh, I haven't seen that in a long time. It's so good. I don't remember that though. I'll have to watch it again because it's been a long time. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it, a short pitch. It's <laughs> it's like this Hollywood Cinderella story, but instead of a human, it is a cat that goes to Hollywood and wants to be a star. And there's a lot of this like parody stuff. Like they have a Shirley Temple equivalent named Charlie uh. Temple. <laughs> who has this huge bodyguard that's like five stories tall <laughs> and that's you know and so it's it's very much it's kind of like uh like Roger Rabbit um meets what's a good Cinderella story about Hollywood uh Lincoln <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's fine um it's but, getting late guys <laughs> my brain shut off 18 minutes ago so uh-huh. um but yeah that I I uh, I'm interested to um, get into more of these things, um, more bringing genre stuff, more um, things like this theater that are retellings, uh, and I think in September we're planning on doing uh, a, a um, Clar- Clarissa. I always get these these authors confused because they're some of their names sound kind of similar because yeah. people want to have like. I'm like George R. R. Martin kind of sounds like J.R.R. Tolkien. So, um, but anyway, uh, the Sarah J. Mass, that's her, that's her name. Uh, she had done YA and is doing her first adult novel. And so we're going to get it, get into that and then have a bonus episode with our, our friend of the show, Matt Kratz to talk about angels as a race in things. Um, because, which I have opinions on. Yeah. Y'all. <laughs> I've, I've been poking the bear. Uh, delightfully, uh, I am not a fan of modern depictions of angels. I don't know that I've really found one I'm happy about at mm-hmm. all. So yeah, because we're gonna we kind of get as as three Christian creators, we're gonna get into the history of stuff and more of what they represent uh, to to human beings, yes. um, and uh, kind of talk about how it, they might run adjacent to different things like fairies and like especially if you're talking about this book crescent city i think it's called where it's being treated like a race of mythological beings um we're going to talk about that type of thing and how that compares to 
hits like Angels in the Outfield that <laughs> everybody remembers as like such a seminal piece of sure. If God help us, if the aliens find our ruins of <laughs> our civilization, and, and, that's, and that's the movie that survives. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, these people worship aliens, you know, or worship angels, angels and baseball. Yeah. Um, well, that's not too far off, really. I mean, <laughs> all right, you can talk to us at Unboxing Story on Twitter and Facebook. Um, as as mentioned, you can hit us up at Unboxing Story Podcast at gmail.com. Please leave a message on our anchor page. Uh, they're the people that put out our podcast. But you like can... and review us on iTunes so people can find us. Please. <laughs> yes, we, we would like the algorithm to be our friend. Yes. Um, and that's one way to do that. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.